In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and I'm here with Patricia Murphy, ahead of an epic weekend of baseball and politics in Atlanta. Patricia, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Georgia Republicans are downright gloating over the fact that Truist Park gets to host the World Series after baseball yanked the All-Star game from Atlanta earlier this year. They're calling it sweet revenge and karmic justice, that the premier event is coming to Metro Atlanta. And, you know, it can be hard to blame them. Let's listen to what Governor Kemp had to say. You know, having the World Series coming to Atlanta is going to be great for hardworking Georgians and small business owners that will reap the benefits of this. This is just part of what he told Channel 2 Action News. It was a political decision, but uh, thankfully that, that wrong has now been righted by the Braves getting in the World Series. Now, some Democrats, including Derek Jackson of Tyrone, aren't happy. I thought it was appalling. Uh, it, it demonstrated once again that Governor Kemp was out of touch um, because um, everything should not be politicized. You know, he's talking about a column basically that you wrote this past <laughs> week that, you know, the governor has seized on the Braves World Series run to remind everyone that the All-Star game was supposed to be in Atlanta until MLB moved it away. Um, but as Democrats and other critics have noted, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of marring the celebration. So, Greg, I have got to confess that I have never written a column that has gotten so much feedback and triggered so many grown men <laughs> to being so incredibly upset. Um, I did write a column um, saying that I wish that Governor Kemp had not uh, tweeted, uh, literally, it was as if the ball was still in Freddie Freeman's glove. Um, <laughs> and he tweeted, uh, you know, hardworking Georgians um, uh, uh, shouldn't have had this game politicized. You know, tweeted about the MLB and, and now the game. Stacey Abrams. Is, oh, absolutely. Stacey Abrams, just the whole bit, the entire last year in a single tweet. Um, really on, but on Saturday night, just as the Braves were celebrating their win to go into the World Series. And so I wrote a column, uh, please do not politicize the Braves game. And the, I mean, listen, the governor knows what he's doing with his politics on this one, I have to tell you, because he absolutely nailed Braves Nation in the gut uh, in terms of just how passionate people are on this issue. Um, I truly underestimated it. I stand by my opinion that (laughs) I didn't want anybody to bring uh, politics into it, um, but I have gotten just 
I felt like I could have run over somebody's dog and filmed it and put it on Twitter and gotten less reaction. I mean, I have to tell you, and I'm a huge Braves fan. And I think people, uh, at least the people I heard from, uh, they took it as politics that I had talked about Governor Kemp bringing up politics. Um, Although I want us to all just cheer for the Braves. Yeah, you know, and and that's what you wrote about this. This this isn't, you know, something that can unite Atlantans, Georgians of all political stripes, right? Uh, something that that has not happened since 1999. Um, that I know I am <laughs> not getting any sleep this week, uh, enjoying the the title run. I know there's th- tickets are going for more than a thousand dollars for this weekend's games just for standing room only. It's insane. I can't wait to get down there on Friday night because I got I got me a pair of tickets. But you know. I think part of it, too, is the timing, right? Is that, I mean, the, some of the Republicans I've talked to have privately said, yeah, if he had waited till Sunday or Monday to mm-hmm. have tweeted something similar, it would have been, it would have come off less, uh, less abrasive. But the fact that it was right before midnight, I mean, I remember I'm celebrating, too, and I'm like, oh, no, I have to write something tonight because I saw I know. Tweet. We were tweeting, we were like, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> right, when we read, right when we read that tweet. <laughs> well, Donald Trump's visit is going to inject even more drama to this weekend because because Braves officials say he's expected to visit Saturday for Game 4 of the World Series. He'll be in the same stadium as Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, who earlier this week essentially said, yeah, baseball tries to be apolitical, but every so often uh, we, we're not. We aim to be apolitical. We aim to be a, a, a sport for all fans, but every so often we've got to take a stand. So he has defended his decision Back in April to pull the All-Star game, um, Trump's visit's only going to highlight that tension with Rob Manfred, who I'm sure, if he does appear on the big screen, I'm sure he'll be roundly booed by the Braves, Braves fans in attendance. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Talk about injecting politics into something. Um, I do think uh, when... Rob Manfred made this decision in April. He really set a bar that's going to be almost impossible for the MLB to meet um, in terms of uh, taking the All-Star game and using it to respond to something that a state legislature had done that they didn't agree with. Um, I, you know, I bet every every game that they play, you could find something um, that the state legislature had done, um, even recently in some cases, that they wouldn't agree with. And the Wall Street Journal even wrote about that um, with Texas and the Houston Astros and uh, the abortion bill that was passed there. Um, and uh, the voting bill, right? And the voting bill, absolutely. Um, so uh, there, uh, it's a really, once you start to mix politics and sports, that's really where you get into trouble. And I think that's why Manfred has had such an incredibly hard time managing this situation. And talk about not being able to manage it with Donald Trump in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to, boy, then it just uncorks all kinds of questions. Who's going to be sitting with him? Are we going to see current candidates, possible candidates, candidates rumored, candidates, man- <laughs> rumored yeah. candidates? We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> after the Exactly. And then um, it's not just the bill that the that uh, the legislature passed. There has been a ton of uh, recent blowback, especially about the Braves name and the tomahawk mm-hmm. chop and the chant. Um, I think all of this is just uh, getting set up to 
really boil over. Um, and I, I just, my hope is that it doesn't distract from the baseball, of course, um, but we'll have to see what happens. Donald Trump is obviously hoping to distract from the baseball. Um, and I think that's going to be his goal on Saturday night. Well, I was hoping Saturday night would be the clinching game, you know, in an ideal world, game four yes. this week, but no longer, that's impossible. Um, and, and look, you know, when we were talking about Commissioner Manfred, it's also instructive to like kind of go back in time and look at the, look at that, look at the debate that was going around there. Because back then it was before Texas passed its more restrictive law. It was before some other states had adopted restrictive laws. So Georgia was the kind of standout at the time. Um, President Biden was, was endorsing a, uh, a moving the All-Star game. There were some high profile players who were saying they weren't going to play. So that, that context, you know, helps shape Rob Manfred's decision, which I know is not an easy one. I know upset a lot of, uh, a lot of folks from both sides of the party. And that's important, too, because Democrats, many of the Democrats that we talked to were just as upset as Republicans that, that MLB yanked the All-Star game. Their argument essentially was what Stacey Abrams said, which was stay and fight. You know, don't, don't pull out. Don't hurt Georgians, uh, especially Georgians who are in democratic-leaning territories, right, who would suffer, minority-owned businesses, all that, right? The, the, the people who might oppose this law as well were also the people who were, who were, who were hurt by it, by, by MLB's decision. Um, and so you've got now the narrative from Republicans, and they've done a very good job at pushing this narrative that Stacey Abrams, quote-unquote, stole the game, when in fact Abrams and other Democrats have been on the record consistently saying... No, we wanted the game to stay here. We just wanted MLB uh, to focus its attention on uh, helping uh, voting rights expansion efforts, you know, supporting groups that want to expand voting rights rather than punishing Georgia for passing that law. That's exactly right. And then, of course, it was the Republicans who passed the law. Um, and that law, we know, because we were both there, was very important to them. It was probably their top priority to get through mm -hmm. this past session. Uh, but they had to know that that would come with an enormous amount of backlash. And you take your, you know, you really take your lumps after you pass a bill like that. Um, there will be backlash and there will be boycotts in some cases. Um, I don't think anybody really saw uh, the MLB boycott coming, um, but uh, that is just the risk you take when you pass something um, on a partisan basis that was so very controversial in the moment. And so um, that was just a part of the risk that they took and that anybody takes when they um, when they pass a bill that's over the objections of a good bit of uh, the rest of the legislature. And to your point, I mean, Cobb County, the stadium is represented by the Democrats. Um, the city of Atlanta is represented by Democrats. It really has been Democrats who have um, probably been financially hurt the most by that decision. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been the Republicans complaining about it the most. Um, but again, if you talk about political mileage out of a single decision, um, a single press conference that the that the governor held, um, the, the press conference right after that to start complaining about the MLB decision was really the moment the governor got his feet back under him in his reelection campaign. So this was just an absolute political winner in April, and I think he's going to keep going back to that well again and again when he can. And we saw that he, uh, <laughs> the minute that they won the game, he was like, whoop, time to tweet. You know? So we know why he did it, and he's getting a lot of mileage out of it. You can only imagine what the internal polls are showing, and that's why you're hearing this. And look, you know, you're right. When, when, when MLB made this decision back in April, we both saw it as this 
you know, huge political shot in the arm for Governor Kemp, who was at the time struggling, right, really struggling. Um, there was, you know, his poll numbers were flat. Uh, the base was was kind of turning against him. And, and at the time, I thought this was, wow, this is, this is his turnaround moment. And what we'll talk about after the break is that maybe, maybe he has not escaped the political peril within his own party. So let's take a quick break and we'll get right back to that. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back on Politically Georgia, and I'm here with the political insider, Patricia Murphy. Patricia, thanks again for joining us. Of course. So let's talk about the other big story of the week. Former Senator David Perdue, who ruled out a comeback bid for the U.S. Senate earlier this year, has not quite thrown in the towel uh, in terms of politics. He is in his early 70s. He's building a brand new house on, on Georgia's coast right near Sea Island. Um, but he's also not closed the door on a new political run. He, according to eight different sources I talked to, actually that number is more like a dozen now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) he is making calls, he is floating a run, he's lining up supporters, um, potentially saying, hey, if I ran for governor, do you have my back? It would be a Republican primary challenge against Governor Brian Kemp because the governor's not going anywhere. He is staying in this race. Something that would be a scorched earth campaign is what folks from both sides of, of that debate tell me, between two Republican titans that would completely divide the Republican Party, much like Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler in the, in the special election last year, except now there's no runoff to kind of you know re- reunite the party. Instead, the winner would go up against Stacey Abrams, probably in the November election next year. Yes, I mean, listen, Greg, I think that the term scorched earth really doesn't cover the (laughs) incredible vitriol between the Brian Camp and David Perdue uh, camps on this one. And I spoke with a uh, Brian Kemp ally today who said, and this is a direct quote, I will make it my life's work to destroy David Perdue if this happens. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think people really get a full sense of how incredibly personal, vicious, expensive, um, and frankly, uh, just uh, almost like a a murder-suicide. And when you talk about a campaign that would do so much damage to another person's campaign and possibly your own. Um, While Democrats, I've got to tell you, I got more emojis of popcorn sent to my phone today of the Democrats just sitting back and watching the show, watching Republicans 
just destroy each other while they sit on the sidelines, raise money, and remain united. And um, as long as, you have to say, as long as Stacey Abrams runs for governor, exactly. uh, that's, a, that's a big asterisk right now. Um, but this is, uh, this is a story that's really been bubbling around uh, for months and months. Um, and your reporting on it was so rock solid, and it's really about to break out into the open if this happens. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. This has been rumbling. Um, there's been efforts and overtures to David Perdue's camp. Um, you know, the fact that his first cousin, former Governor Sonny Perdue, is being tapped, is being pushed by Governor Kemp and his allies as the next chancellor of the higher education system is somewhat wrapped into all this. Um, you know, there there is an understanding. I guess there is a there is an insinuation that if Sonny Perdue is the chancellor, he could help get his cousin out of that race. Um, but I don't know how. It's hard to divine that. We've heard Sonny Perdue say nice things about Governor Kemp and try to try to maybe tamp down Trump in the background, although that's not going all that well <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, but from everything I hear, the, the Sonny Perdue for Chancellor movement is still going forward. Um, but meanwhile, as you said, you know this is so personal to the Brian Kemp campaign, uh, to, to him and his supporters, because they feel betrayed if he run, if David Perdue runs. Um, David Perdue introduced the governor at a Georgia GOP uh, conference convention earlier this year. Was I was set to sort of endorse him, is what I was told, and and never did. Instead, um, he just made more general comments. Um, but when I asked the 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 Kemp camp for comment, uh, his campaign spokesman Tate Mitchell, I'm paraphrasing here, but, but essentially said this would be tantamount to a betrayal because David Perdue personally told Brian Kemp and his wife that he would support his re-election campaign. So there is a lot wrapped into this. And of course, you know, the David Perdue people, they, they were allies. They were never best friends, but they were they always, you know, saw eye to eye on many issues. But the big one they did not see eye to eye on was the special legislative session uh, last year. Um, Donald Trump said time and time and time again, that he wanted a special legislative session to invalidate the, the, the millions of votes uh, that, that showed Joe Biden narrowly winning the election. Uh, David Perdue is in the camp that, that was supportive of that, not to necessarily overturn the election, but just to at least throw a bone to the Trump supporters to show them that the legislature, that the Georgia politicians were willing uh, to, to investigate you know, these, these false claims of a rigged election, of election fraud. Whereas Governor Kemp, and, and his allies, including Speaker Ralston and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, saw it as a as a basically a disaster in the waiting. Right? They, they, they thought that it would turn the state capital into an armed camp with protesters and counter protesters. It would shift attention away from from Kelly Leffler and David Perdue's bid for uh, another term in the Senate, and it could be dangerous. Um, they, they're worried about violence and and you know subjecting state lawmakers to the incredible amount of attention that would it would come not just from state media but imagine every national outlet would have would have cameras ringed around the state capitol interviewing you know lawmakers from uh, you know, Hartwell coming in saying hey where do you stand who aren't necessarily used to all that attention so uh, that's one of the big divides. I'm not sure if, how big of a divide that would be, but certain in the if David Perdue does does run the primary, um, how much he would emphasize that. But right now we know that Donald Trump is surely likely to endorse David Perdue. They've always been allies. David Perdue 
uh, was one of his first major endorsers in Georgia back in 2016, when very few other statewide elected officials anywhere in the country were endorsing Donald Trump. David Perdue John donned his jean jacket and his red MAGA hat and said, I am here for, for Donald Trump. And it really was surprising. It was a surprising moment when, when he did that. Yeah, you know, uh, it, I don't see um, politically a path where your your road to the governor's office is paved successfully through. But I wanted to have a special session to re-examine the uh, election that had no evidence of fraud, even though the gov- the president wanted to have a special session. Mm-hmm. So that's what we should have done. Um, on a policy basis, um, the governor and David Perdue, I don't, I'm not aware of any major policy differences other than that. Um, that's and, about it I can think of, too. Yeah. And for Governor Kemp, he is a conservative, <laughs> conservative um, lawmaker and a conservative uh, leader. Uh, the state itself, uh, from an economic standpoint, which I think has always been David Perdue's real bread and butter, um, from an economic standpoint, this state is roaring. So I don't know how a Republican primary is animated um, by a technicality that is really driven specifically by President Trump. Um, And it's not even about uh, overturning the election. It's about this very narrow conversation about a special session. I don't think um, people in Georgia even know what a special session is. I don't even know that they know where a special session happens or what happens when you have a special session. Um, I just don't, this whole conversation confuses me a great deal. Um, And I have to layer onto that the fact that David Perdue did not seem to enjoy campaigning yeah. Uh, just a year ago, just, uh, you know, last November to watch him on the campaign trail seemed like a man really um, not enjoying himself. So to think of him out campaigning again and so hungry to be back on the trail and back in the arena um, that he would take on a, uh, a a race like this is something that has uh, honestly I did not see this. I knew I had heard the rumors, but I did not see it coming that it would get this close to. Um, a reality with him really having serious conversations with people. So this to me makes it uh, just, I mean, if Georgia wasn't already the most interesting place for politics, this little wrinkle in the governor's race, I I cannot stop obsessing over it. And I think that's how a lot of people would feel. And we kind of call it the fire in the belly factor, right? He did not seem like he had the fire in the belly, um, especially in the runoff cycle, right? It was, it was, um, he, he's never been shy about saying he's not in love with the art of campaigning. In 2014, he would even tell crowds he doesn't like this. <laughs> this is not how he, <laughs> he thought he'd spend his sort of uh, twilight years. Certainly not how Bonnie, his wife, thought she would spend um, you know her, her her retirement on a campaign bus, you know, stocked with junk food and Coca Cola cans <laughs> and all that. Right? Chick Fil A, his his favorite food. Um, uh, I think he grew into it in 2014, but fast forward to 2020, yeah, he, he didn't seem to enjoy it. And not only that, he really disdained John Ossoff. You know, he, he didn't mind having to face Michelle Nunn. He respected her. Their families go way back in middle Georgia. They, they came from Houston, but they both originated from Houston County, not, not far from each other, Bonaire and Warner Robins. So they had deep roots. And he would always kind of figure if he lost, it was okay because he respected Michelle. John Ossoff to him was you know, about his kid's age. He felt like his kids had done more than John Ossoff had done. 
um, you know, he felt John Ossoff was entitled. He said as much that he was a that he was a, someone who never created any jobs on his own. That he was entitled. Um, that he was, uh, you know, trying to punch above his weight, and that and that David Perdue felt like outside factors. And he told everyone this. I mean, even at rallies years before the election, he said, "This is going to be a fight. Let's not sleep on this because this is really going to be a fight." Because at some point, national forces that, that local candidates, statewide candidates um, can't harness come into play. And what strikes me as interesting is because these two, these two re Republicans in top races are at war. Whether or not David Perdue gets in, Donald Trump still is saying he'd rather see anyone, even Stacey Abrams as governor, than Brian Kemp. And of course, the Senate candidates, Herschel Walker has to face his own questions from, from, from internal. Meanwhile, Raphael Warnock and presumably Stacey Abrams, they've got a united party behind them as long as Stacey Abrams gets in. Well, and it just sets up uh, just an absolute repeat of 2020, where you had mm -hmm. a, um, a Republican Party just divided um, bitterly. And then you take a big can of gasoline and you throw a match on it with Donald Trump, who injected himself into the Senate race over and over and over. Um, and, you know, you brought up John Ossoff. Um, David Perdue lost to John Ossoff. A big piece of that was because of Donald Trump's involvement in that race. And so um, to to set a dynamic up so similar to 2020, where you have um, Democrats on the side raising money and remaining united, staying on a single message while Republicans fight each other. Um, but really, it's that Trump piece it, to inject it so cleanly straight back into the vein of politics in, in, uh, uh, for Republicans in Georgia um, to put that Trump factor back in there by having his two favorite candidates at the top of the ticket. You're going to have Donald Trump. He's not going to be here just for a brave scam. He's going to be mm. back again and again. This will be his new job um, is to get these people elected in Georgia to sort of just to have his um, it almost feels like a revenge tour to yeah. to do a sweep of the state to get rid of the people who didn't help him in 2020 the first time around. And so and the, um, it, the, it, the way it's playing out is fascinating. And it, it puts these Republicans, uh, Herschel Walker is doing to me a really interesting job of keeping distance between himself and Trump. I don't think that uh, David Perdue could do quite the same thing because the only thing really different between him and Brian Kemp is Donald Trump's support. Is Donald Trump. And, and look, I was going to say, I, I think when we see Donald Trump at the Braves game on Saturday, I won't be shocked to see David Perdue by his side. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and I said this about Herschel Walker. You know, we talked about this a little bit um, in, before in the show, but Herschel Walker might be one of the only candidates um, in the nation who can tell Donald Trump no? Who can say the sort of things um, that that he said, which is, "I'm Donald Trump's not running for this race. I am. I'm. He's not Herschel Walker. I'm the one running." Um, you know, nothing, nothing controversial, or scandalous, but something that if another candidate endorsed by Trump had uttered that, you could hear, you could just feel like the the email mass email broadside coming. But Herschel Walker can get away with that because they go back so far, and there. And I think there's a mutual respect between those two men, and certainly their relationship goes back to the 80s. But Herschel Walker's now face, he had a very good week. He had Mitch McConnell, John Thune, um, other Senate Republicans endorse him. The Mitch McConnell uh, endorsement was a major coup for him because it, it, Mitch McConnell was the lawmaker who expressed 
behind the scenes the most skepticism about Herschel Walker's ability to beat Raphael Warnock in next November. And that's kind of ratcheted up the rhetoric. I mean, just this week, I was with Gary Black when he said that Walker's history of violence against women is, in his words, disqualifying. Let's listen to that real quick. By his own admission and police records, police reports, Herschel Walker, uh, a candidate for the United States Senate in the state of Georgia, is an abuser of women. He's an abuser by uh, stalking, he's an abuser by uh, vile and abusive, threatening language, he's abusive by choking, strangling, he's abusive by uh, threatening activities with uh, weapons, with knives and guns, with a threat of deadly force. Uh, Patricia. This yes. is hitting a new sort of high when it comes to the the rancorous uh, attacks from Gary Black. Herschel Walker's not swiping back because he doesn't need to. He's so ahead in the polls. He's ahead in fundraising. He's ahead in name ID. He's got Trump's endorsement, McConnell's endorsement. But Gary Black is trying to send the message that he's not going anywhere, and he's also not afraid to swipe up at Herschel Walker. Yeah, he's really going after Herschel Walker so directly on what I think we all believe to be his greatest vulnerability. Um, uh, and that this is oppo that was put out there by Republicans um, to really damage Herschel Walker. And it has not damaged him um, to any extent that we've been able to see so far. And it puts these other Republican candidates in that Senate race um, as each one of these dominoes begins to fall for Herschel Walker. And um, to your point, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell was just a huge get for Herschel Walker because that gives him that legitimacy, that stamp of approval from the establishment Republican base that I think the other candidates were hoping uh, to be, well, maybe Herschel Walker could be the Trump candidate and I could be the establishment candidate. Um, that's not going to be the case. So it puts these other Republicans in the position, um, and Gary Black is in the position that if he wants to get traction, if he wants to even get press mm -hmm. or attention, it's going to need to be done in some way uh, pushing off of Herschel Walker or attacking Herschel Walker or um, calling on Herschel Walker to do X, Y, Z. It's all still related to Herschel Walker. And so um, you can just really feel him casting a shadow over the entire rest of this um, field. And he is really acting in a way that is so disciplined, he's not taking the bait on that. And um, he's betting that he can just keep on going. Um, and even to your point, he had a quote where he said, Herschel Walker is going to do this Herschel Walker's way. He's not mm -hmm. going to do it the way Donald Trump wants him to do it. Um, I find no candidate in America using that talking point. So um, he's he's in this really enviable position right now. He's he's gotten here with with the encouragement and the help of Donald Trump, um, but he doesn't really need Donald Trump anymore at this point. So he's going to run the race he wants to. He's being very disciplined. He's just uh, just uh, soaking up all of these uh, really big and important endorsements um, and uh, just keeping his head down uh, toward the primary. And I don't think I've ever seen a, a nonprofit center that treats and helps battered women, women who are victims of domestic violence used in such a political way before as is Gary Black's press conference earlier this week. Uh, Patricia, that is all the time we have for this show. Um, but you guys, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. You should subscribe to The Jolt. You should check out our 
next podcast, which will be certainly on the Atlanta mayoral race and all the municipal elections. You should rate, review, and subscribe to the show and tell us how we're doing. Send us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us, Patricia. Thanks. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.